Welcome to this episode of the Mind of the Escapist podcast. This is a podcast centered around film, video games, television, anime, and more. I'm your host, Terrell. In today's episode, I'm going to be reviewing both Barbie and Oppenheimer. Of course, this past weekend was the long-awaited, highly anticipated Barbenheimer weekend. Now, if you've been living under a rock for the past six months, you may not know what that means. Essentially, a brand new Barbie movie was coming out, the first Barbie movie in live action ever taking them 60 years to make a live-action Barbie film. I find that quite surprising, to be honest. Like, I'm surprised they haven't done that sooner. And then you have Christopher Nolan's latest film, Oppenheimer, releasing as well. Both of those films released on the same day. And somewhere during that marketing cycle, social media kind of picked up on the release date of both of those films and decided to combine it and get excited for it in equal measure and hype it all up. And that became Barbenheimer. Now, I was pretty confident that both of these films would be successful. And I think a lot of people were confident in that as well. But I don't think we expected both of these films to kind of penetrate the pop culture zeitgeist in the way that they have and then also deliver when it comes to the films themselves in terms of critical reception and box office. Both of these films are lighting the box office on fire, in particular Barbie, which has really shocked everyone really with this box office return, making over 150 million in its opening weekend in America, the biggest opening weekend for any film directed by a female director, very impressive. Oppenheimer for an R-rated film, that is a three hour long picture, basically a drama, little action, for that film to bring in as much as it did, I think it brought in over 80 million on the opening weekend, it's satisfying to see both films thrive in their own way, despite releasing on the same day, they didn't cannibalise each other, and I think that hype and excitement that social media created and that the marketing team for Barbie in particular helped fuel, really did pay off in a major way for both films, and that's that's a very nice thing to see in terms of cinema nowadays, you know, because it was a time back in COVID where we weren't sure if cinema would survive, and now cinema is alive and well. So I'm going to review both of these films anyway. I'm going to start off by talking about Barbie, and I'll start off by saying I enjoyed this film. I went to watch it, and I was looking forward to seeing it, because I remember when they first announced this film with the cast, and it's a big cast. It's like an all-star, big ensemble of Margot Robbie, Ryan Gosling, Will Ferrell, Simu Liu, Michael Sarah, Kate McKinnon, America Ferreira, Issa Rae. It's a big, big cast. And when they announced this film, I just had a feeling there was something about it. The way they spoke about it, but I think before even they started shooting, and the way that Greta Gerwig, you know, described it, and the way that Margot Robbie described her reaction to reading the script, it just always stood out to me. And I'm like, okay, there's something about that film. I feel like they're going to do something with it, something different, something above and beyond what you think they would do with just a live action Barbie film so it always been in my head as a film that I wanted to see from that point so I was excited to watch it and to finally see what they did with it and I was impressed by it and I enjoyed it and I had fun with it and it is a fun enjoyable film and I think that is reflected in the box office I think that's why a lot of people are going to watch it and are having a lot of fun with it one thing I'll say about it is if you think of what a live action Barbie film could have ended up like it makes you appreciate this film even more because this film has a lot of substance beneath the surface now a Barbie live-action film could have turned out really bad. And thankfully, this film isn't bad, but also on the plus side, it actually does have that substance running through it. I like the messages within this film. So this is a film that has a lot of commentary on our society and the dynamic between men and women. And I think it's the type of discussion that needs to be had. And I think it's quite smart that they used Barbie as a vessel to confront those issues while still making a fun film to surround it. I like how this film will empower and inspire women, but also... 
there is a simple yet important message for men within Ken's arc in this film, which I appreciate because I didn't expect as much of a focus on men within this film in terms of empowering men, but there is really a, an aspect of the film that does do that as well, which I thought was great. A lot of my friends are women, and I often speak to them about these topics and the issues they face within society and when dealing with men, and there's dialogue in this film, and one monologue in particular delivered by America Ferreira, that I know will resonate with my female friends in a big way, and that makes me happy. I like that this Barbie film exists and can have that power for them and women in general, I think is very important. Hearing that monologue in the film and viewing it through my perspective as a man, what I heard within that monologue and what was brought up, the issues that were brought up are things that I've heard countless times from my friends. So although I'm not a woman and I can't relate directly to that experience in that sense, just going off of what my friends speak to me about, I can tell that that is meaningful, that monologue and that it hit a lot of points that I think will resonate and connect with a lot of women who watch it and you know that's the power of art that's the power of art and it sounds crazy to be talking about the power of art when I'm talking about a Barbie film but th that's what makes this film so good is that they went above and beyond to really make sure that they had a moment with this Barbie film where they were gonna draw a lot of attention because of the IP and the brand and they didn't waste that moment and they utilized that moment to really speak some harsh truths about reality and create a story that will and I think across generations as well so women of all ages will be able to relate to in one way or another and that's what art's all about you know that's what films are all about is is creating that type of connection with the audience and Barbie surprisingly does it really well unfortunately but to nobody's surprise the film's receiving quite a bit of backlash from certain groups of men and my stance on that or my opinion on that is it's the type of men that actually need to heed and understand the message of this film the most they're the ones that are completely rejecting it they're too stupid they're too arrogant to understand it they don't want to engage with it they think that they're being attacked and I just think having a meltdown because a Barbie film has a positive and empowering message for women is just pathetic. They're calling it a man-hating feminist film and that it's woke. The irony is the only way you could be offended by how men are portrayed in this film, especially with the depictions of men in the real world within this, in, within this film, is if you're the type of man that perpetuates the exact same behavior that's being shown on screen. Those are the men that are getting offended by it. And it's resulted in an if the shoe fits type of situation. Bad men continue to expose themselves. If you're getting so triggered by how men are portrayed in this film, then it's probably because you see yourself within that depiction. And the fact that this depiction of men is being called out, you don't like it because you know it's you. It's that simple. These men that are finding issues with this film, their masculinity is fragile like glass and toxic beyond belief. They have egos that are huge, but it's not hard to upset that ego. And that's essentially what's happened here. They've been triggered because they've seen themselves represented in the film in a negative way. They can't handle the fact that their actual behavior is negative, is bad, and that nobody likes it. And that's hurt their feelings. And now they want to have a cry about it because women are being empowered by this film and because women are happy and because women are seeing something that makes them feel like they can take on the world and that they don't have to deal with these type of men and they just don't like it it's that simple and uh, that's all i have to say on that anyway onto the film there's a positively infectious energy that just permeates throughout this entire film the entire cast looked like they were having so much fun and their energy is infectious whilst watching it and it's such a strong ensemble, some great casting choices to represent different types of Barbies and different types of Kens. And it just looked like everyone was just having a blast with it. One of the strongest elements of this Barbie film 
is the production design, the costume, the hair and makeup, all of those departments really delivered. This is one of the best aspects of the entire film by far. They brought Barbie Land to life in a very practical way that felt very real and it benefited Greta Gerwig's vision. And it's just a beautiful film to look at. It's so vivid and colourful that it's just appeasing to the eyes. And that mixed with the fun energy that runs through this film, on top of the social commentary that's running beneath the film, just creates an experience that's really wholesome. You know, you feel very satisfied when you leave the cinema after watching this film because you got an enjoyable experience that was fun, but it also had the substance underneath it, which sometimes is rare and hard to come by. And it's pretty funny too. Like, it had me laughing quite a few times, especially within the first act. I think the first act was very strong at establishing what they were doing with this world and and what you know the setup of this whole thing is and kind of introduces you to barbie land to barbie her daily routine her doing some like daily chores and there was like a very good comedic riff on some of the things that people would do if they were playing with barbie toys for example there's a moment where barbie takes a shower but there's no water coming out of the shower head because she's a toy she's a doll and when you play with the doll and make the doll take a shower there's no water involved so it kind of does that kind of thing with the humor in it it does that in a few different ways and it's, it's funny when it does it i like that aspect of it but then as the film progresses on that's when the core themes of it start to reveal themselves a bit more and the film starts to delve into it in a more sophisticated mature and interesting way and i gotta say margot robbie and ryan gosling are really good here like i don't want their performances to be like overshadowed by the film in the sense that people may go into this film thinking it's a barbie film okay these actors aren't going to be like doing a whole lot of acting like serious acting or very you know strong acting but there is a lot of emotion in this film and it's driven by those two lead performances from margot robbie and ryan gosling they're having fun like i said but they also took the roles seriously you know they actually did take the role seriously understood the importance of what their characters were portraying in the film even through the humor and then they managed to portray something that actually does connect you know and that's why i think that's why I think this film is special and I think why it's ignited the box office because, well I've said it many times already, but it is just that substance under the surface and how despite having fun and despite it being bright and colourful, vivid and enjoyable and a great time, musical numbers in there which are great as well, despite all of that, at the end of the day when the film ends, you'll leave the cinema and you'll feel something. You'll take something into the real world with you from that movie, just in terms of its messaging. And those performances from the actors, especially the main two, is what helps drive that home. And I do recommend the Barbie film, whether you're a woman or a man. If you're a woman, you've probably already seen it anyway. Even if you're a man, I do recommend watching this film. It's an enjoyable time. It's a good film. I'll always recommend a good film. And it is a good film, regardless of your gender. And I think there's messaging within that film that you can take away with you, regardless of your gender. So I think it's just a worthwhile experience. So I enjoyed watching Barbie. Now I'm going to talk about Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan's latest film. Christopher Nolan, what can I say about him that hasn't already been said? He's one of the best filmmakers of his time. He's a filmmaker that's influenced me in terms of my film viewing experience from a very young age. I remember when Batman Begins came out. I remember hearing about Memento, but never seeing it back then. And then, of course, Batman Begins came out, and that was probably the first Christopher Nolan film I saw. And the Dark Knight trilogy was very impactful, of course. Then he had his films in between that, The Prestige, which I think is actually really underrated or just kind of forgotten in his filmography, but one of his strongest films if not his best film. You've got Inception, phenomenal film, which for me, Inception was like the Matrix film of my generation. I was a little too young to experience the Matrix when it originally came out. It came out in 1999. I would have been about five years old. So I didn't really know about the Matrix when it came out. It wasn't until 2003 when the 
Animatrix uh, Revolutions and Reloaded came out and the Animatrix film and the Enter the Matrix video game. It wasn't until then when I really started to become aware of the Matrix and what it was. So I kind of missed the moment with the original Matrix in terms of science fiction films that felt very different and felt like, wow. Whereas Inception, I was, I want to say 15 years old when I saw that. So that I was kind of at the perfect age to really understand and take on these bigger themes that the film was contesting with and just that sci-fi concept. And it really stood out and it's a memorable film of that time for me. And I struggle to rank Christopher Nolan's films, but I think for the longest period of time, I've said that Inception was my favorite, but I'm not too sure nowadays. Then you have films like Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, which I enjoyed a lot more than most people did by the sounds of it. I'm surprised you know, how mixed the reaction on Tenet was. I don't know if it had something to do with just the COVID time in which it released, but I think Tenet's an exceptional film. And now we have Oppenheimer, which is a biopic about J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the bomb is his nickname. He created the nuclear bomb, changed the world, could have also obliterated us all. Thankfully, he didn't. But uh, yeah, so this is an adaptation of a book called American Prometheus. It's the story of Oppenheimer's life, essentially, and is centered around that moment where the nuclear bomb was created and the aftermath of that creation and what that meant for the rest of the world but also how it impacted Oppenheimer and his life and those involved in his life going forward. So I went to London this past weekend, I went on Sunday to do my Barbenheimer double bill and I started it off by watching Oppenheimer at the BFI IMAX in 70mm at 4.20 in the morning. <laughs> because the screenings, and this is one thing I need to touch on actually, the way this film has been selling out, and to be fair, Barbie's been doing the same, but for IMAX cinemas, I've never seen a film really just sell out in this way in IMAX. And of course, Nolan is like the pioneer of IMAX when it comes to filmmaking and cinema. And I think I've only ever seen one film in IMAX that was Nolan's. Um, I've seen a lot of films in IMAX in general, but when it comes to Christopher Nolan, I think Dunkirk is the only film of his I've seen in IMAX. So I definitely wanted to see Oppenheimer in IMAX, and hearing that the film was being shot and projected in 70mm just made me even more curious, because I've never actually seen a film in 70mm before. Not that I'm aware of anyway, and I just wanted to see what that experience would look like, as Christopher Nolan intended. And of course, a lot of people had the same idea, so the film's been selling out like crazy. Uh, they added midnight and early morning showings, like the one I went to, and even those ones were basically sold out. And I think if you just wanted to try and casually grab a ticket for Oppenheimer and IMAX, you might have to wait like two weeks to then get like a slightly bad seat. <laughs> so it's been crazy how crazy this has been taking over the IMAX uh, cinemas. But I watched it in IMAX and the first thing I'll say, you know, and this, this kind of goes without saying in all honesty, because you could talk about any Christopher Nolan film from the past 10 years and these words would apply, but it applies for Oppenheimer as well. This is visceral filmmaking on a scale that's rarely done, especially for an original film. Now, like I said, it's based on a, an, an adaptation of a book, but in terms of like an original story and not like a, a big budget sequel or anything like that, to have a visceral large scale, and it's a very large scale and grand story, but very intimate at the same time. And the visuals, the sound design, and the score combine for what is essentially an extremely visceral experience that assaults your senses and draws you in. This film channels existential dread and guilt into a number of harrowing sequences and the way that Christopher Nolan orchestrated those scenes is really really well done because there's moments in this film with Oppenheimer where you see him contesting with the aftermath of his decisions and some of those scenes feel like they're ripped straight out of a horror film. Just the way he depicts you know people in a room 
and how being surrounded by a group of people that kind of don't see the error of your ways and are championing you for what you've done when deep down you know there is something wrong with what you've done and how that affects you and the potential panic attack that can come from that there's one scene in particular and when you see the film you know what scene i'm going to be talking about that really depicted that in as good of a way as i can remember seeing in any film for a very very long time killian murphy's performance in oppenheimer will stand the test of time people will still analyze and appreciate it in the decades to come so much is conveyed through his eyes as the horrors of reality begin to poison j robert oppenheimer's psyche with guilt it's a really masterful performance and it feels like a wonderful culmination of his impressive career. Every great performance of his in the past was built to this. This is not an easy performance to give, and a lot of actors would collapse under the weight of it all, but Killian Murphy excelled. The rest of the cast acted their ass off, and the cast itself is completely stacked. There are so many surprise appearances in this film. There were so many moments where I was watching this film, and in my head, an actor would come on screen, and I'm thinking, oh wait, you're in this? And then five minutes later, oh wait, you're in this too? There are so many actors. Let me list some of the actors that are like on the call sheet that you'll you'll know that they've promoted. You've got Killian Murphy, you've got Florence Pugh, you've got Robert Downey Jr., you've got Emily Blunt, you've got Rami Malek, Matt Damon, Kenneth Branagh, Jason Clark, Dane DeHaan, and there's a whole lot more that I'm not going to mention because I genuinely feel like it is actually part of the experience to be surprised by some of the faces that you do see, but the cast is huge. It's a tremendous ensemble cast, and like I said, Nolan brings the best out of everybody. Everyone is acting to an extremely high degree in this film, and you can tell that being in the presence of Nolan and being in a Nolan film almost is like an honour to these actors, so they wouldn't ever pass up the moment by giving a mediocre performance. This is a very dialogue-heavy film. It's three hours long. didn't feel as long as it actually is, to be honest, so I've got to give it credit for that, but it is a very dialogue-centric film. It's a lot of talking, a lot of different rooms, a lot of different people having discussions, and the main criticism I have of this film is I think the structure of it and the intercutting of scenes and time periods felt a bit hard to follow at times, and the dialogue as well was a bit hard to to grasp. I don't know if it was uh, in terms of the sound mix, the audio mix with the dialogue, or if it was just the nature of the conversations that they were having, And but trying to keep up with it did feel a bit difficult at times, and I think some people will struggle with it, and I think it's something that I just have to point out because I started to notice it a little, but yeah, my biggest criticism of this film is just the structure, and it's not in the sense of the idea of what Nolan's doing, I just think the execution wasn't as good as it could have been. The film cuts between colour sequences and black and white sequences as well, and those are supposed to depict Oppenheimer's own perspective, and then the perspective of what actually happened, and other people's perspective, if that makes sense. And I think that's a very interesting way of doing it and telling this story. The script itself was apparently written in first person, which I think a lot of the actors gravitated towards when they read it, which is very interesting again. So I think Nolan had some great ideas with how he was going to tackle this film. I just don't think the execution of it all in terms of the structure and the editing worked. It worked to a degree, but just not as well as I think it could have. It could have been a lot sharper, I believe. As I said before, Oppenheimer is the first film I've seen in 70mm IMAX, and that presentation is mind-blowing. When it blows up to the 70mm shots, it immerses you in a way that I've never experienced watching a film before. And I watch a lot of films in IMAX, and the cinema I went to, so BFI IMAX in London, for those who are unaware, it's the biggest IMAX screen in the whole of Europe. So I've seen a lot of films on that IMAX screen, so I've seen a lot of films in the biggest possible screen on this side of the world. And it almost shocked me, well it did shock me, to watch this film and to see that screen that I'm so familiar with expand to an even bigger size that I didn't even realise was possible. I thought the films I were watching before were taking full advantage of the size of that screen, but they weren't. 
<laughs> because this aspect ratio that comes with the 70 millimeter is even taller and it just completely Im immerses you. It takes up your whole peripheral vision, completely immerses you. But one thing that also stood out with 70 millimeters to me is those shots have a level of depth and detail that is incredible. It feels like you're watching footage in 8K and it's like a nature documentary. It's that sharp, it's that detailed, it's got that much depth to it and it really draws you in. And, and when Nolan goes to that scale in 70mm for the landscape shots and things like that and the big scene with the Trinity test and the bomb and all of that, it's, it's fantastic, it's phenomenal. But when he also maintains that 70mm frame for the dialogue sequences, it gives you a level of intimacy and directness to the performance of the actors that is so engrossing because you're not used to seeing actors so up close. They almost feel exposed because the camera is so close to them and they're blown up so big on this huge screen that they've really got to be bringing their A-game because if they don't, it would just derail the experience and thankfully the actors really did pull their weight all of them and it delivered but the overall experience was just phenomenal now i'm an audio head i love music in terms of just general music and i love music in film and i love paying attention to sound design as well uh, my my ears are very pleased by good sound design by good music etc and this is one thing that nolan's always very good with within his films ludwig goranson did the score for this film it's a fantastic score and the sound design in this film is exceptional i'm gonna give a quick example the trinity test in this film of course is one of the big set pieces with the bomb and it's an incredibly tense sequence as it builds to the moment where they detonate that bomb and they don't even know if they're going to light the atmosphere on fire and destroy the entire world when they hit that button. It's an incredibly tense moment that Nolan builds to with real finesse. But what they do with the sound design in that sequence blew me away. What happens in that scene essentially is you get them detonating the bomb, which is what you expect. That's what happened in history. But as they do it, they detonate the bomb. And I was leaning forward in my seat. There was a multiple times throughout this film where I was leaning forward in my seat. It just really drew me in like that. And they detonate that bomb and you witness the explosion occur. But obviously they're miles and miles back from it. So you witness it occur and it's fantastic. And the way that it's shot and all of that is incredible. And I'm looking at it and you, you see it and you're in awe just like the characters are of this explosion. Which by the way, in fact I'll get onto this bit in a minute. But you're in awe of this explosion. But in the back of my head I was thinking, wait a minute, where's the sound? Because you, you witness this scene occur and the, the detonation and the explosion but there's no sound. And then about 20 to 30 seconds later, the sound catches up. And when it does, it blew me the fuck back. Sorry for cursing, but it blew me the fuck back in my seat. Because it really rocked the cinema in a way that I've rarely ever seen a cinema. Like, this is some of the most tremendous sound design I've ever heard. Because it genuinely sounded and felt like a nuclear explosion occurred not too far away. And, and the sound of it has just reached us. It was truly ph phenomenal. That sequence has got to be up there with Nolan's best scenes, without a doubt. Because... The way that he combines the visuals with the audio in that was so smart, so realistic, and so impactful. Now, the other thing I want to mention is there's no CGI in this film. So when it comes to the bomb and the things like that, they didn't use any CGI, which is a really impressive feat, especially when you see the film and how it depicts that. And another aspect of the film that I really appreciate, actually, is it showcases how all of this is starting to haunt Oppenheimer. So you get quick flashes of the world on fire. You get quick flashes of other little visions related to the bomb, sparks, and things like that and the way that he implements that within the film is done in a very visceral way and i think it's a very creative way to showcase how this event has consumed this man's mind 
But briefly going back to what I just said about the practicality of this film and the fact there was no CGI, what was used as a replacement for CGI was gasoline, propane, black powder, aluminium powder, and magnesium flares. And that's how they created the Trinity test practically, which I think is such a fantastic achievement for this film. And the fact that it is very practical is actually something that you can feel within the scenes. You can tell it's not CGI. You can tell something is palpable and real on screen. You might not necessarily know how they've done it when you're watching it, but that's the beauty of cinema and the magic of practical effects is that you can still feel it. You can feel the realism within it. And that's what helps impact that scene in a major way. So Oppenheimer is a really impressive film and I think it's a film that will have people debating for a very, very long time. And I think people will study it. And like I said, Killian Murphy is fantastic. It's a career best performance from him and his career has plenty of great performances within it. The rest of the cast were fantastic. It would take me forever to go through all of them individually, but one that really stood out to me is Florence Pugh. I'm a fan of Florence Pugh in, in multiple ways, <laughs> but she was really good here. She only has a few scenes, but she's very impactful in the scenes that she has. She also has a nude scene in this film, and seeing Florence Pugh in 70mm IMAX, I mean, God bless cinema. You know, Florence Pugh nude in 70mm IMAX. That was an experience in itself. One breath was taken up like a quarter of the screen. Anyway, she was great. <laughs> Emily Bunt was fantastic. Matt Damon was great. Robert Downey Jr. was fantastic here as well. It's been such a long time since we've seen him get to really flex his muscles as an actor. Because, of course, he got caught up with the, the Iron Man role, which he did very good in. And he did bring a lot of gravitas to the role of Iron Man, especially within Endgame. But to see him really go unchained and really just deliver a performance that packs a real punch, really, really satisfying to see. And him and Killian Murphy and their, their chemistry and dynamic in the film is a compelling one. But I thoroughly enjoyed Oppenheimer. Like I said, the only criticisms I'll have of it is that the structure, I think, could have been fine-tuned a bit better to be less confusing. And I think the dialogue as well. Well, I'm, I'm not really going to call the dialogue a, a negative because the dialogue is great. I just think it does get a bit complicated at times. But aside from that, it's, it's an experience that is worthy of going to the cinema and seeing it on the biggest screen possible. If you can see it in IMAX in 70mm, do it. It's 100% worth it. Just for that Trinity scene alone, Trinity test sequence alone, but for the rest of it, it's fantastic too. But yeah, that's my review of Oppenheimer. And of course, that was my review of Barbie. So I'm done talking about both of those films now. It's good to see cinema thriving like this. I really do. I do think it's fantastic to see cinema back in a major way this weekend with these two films. It feels like the summer season is finally alive. It's been a summer of flops. Indiana Jones and The Flash are among the biggest flops in cinema history and they came out this year. But it's, it's encouraging to see that the more original, I know Barbie's based on an on an existing IP, but the more original stories or films that are being made this summer are the ones that have hit the jackpot in terms of success. That's very encouraging and I'm very happy about that. But yeah, that's my review of both of those films. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to follow this podcast on your respective platform so you don't miss any future episodes and that will help me out as well. Please share it with any friends if they have similar interests or are interested in these films and finding out what they're like. And I'll speak to you guys in the next episode.